The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, and you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The name of this place of scripture was called, or the topic of these sermons was called, called to perfection. We know that this promised commandment that is written in the book of Matthew is presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady. This is a commandment that Christ had to address to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have one. And so we have stopped to talk about the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person that is expressed in our ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be friendly. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God or the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition, if the holy selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and we will be clothed through our proclamations into this selective love of God. And the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues that are written in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8. through 8. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And we know that each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God and are given to us through Christ, which we are called to become enriched with and we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of our life, which will be expressed in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And through the inheritance of these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. And so, the selected love of God expressed in seven unearthly virtues and characteristics has nothing in common and can't have anything in common with the nature of tolerant human love that is filled with ignorant selfishness and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selected love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. 
It is the fruit of the selective love of God contained in the format of seven virtues that is called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies, having destroyed the power of death in our bodies, and clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And so, from these seven characteristics, we have stopped to study the sixth characteristic. This is brotherly love. This is that component about which Scripture says that we know that we have gone from the state of death to the state of life. Why? Because we have this quality of brotherly love. We love the brethren. And talking about brotherly love, before us were presented four classic questions. What does Scripture say about the origin and essence of brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose is the love of God agape? called to fulfill in our faith? What conditions are necessary to fulfill to receive the power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith? And by what signs, which we are going to study today, by what signs should we test ourselves for the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith? We're going to continue to study this specific question. By what sign should we test ourselves that we have brotherly love in our faith? And we today are going to look at the sixth sign. And so the sixth sign, according to which we must test ourselves for the subject of demonstrating the love of God shown by us in brotherly love, is according to the ability to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer with supplication and thanksgiving to make our requests known to God. Philippians chapter 4 verses 5 through 7. Let your meekness be known to all men. We are talking about brotherly love, that without this quality, without this inequality of meekness, we can't have any mention of brotherly love. Your meekness, let it be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In this place of Scripture, the character of the fruit of the Spirit discovering itself in the property of meekness, through which we are called to bridle our lips with the truth hidden in our heart, is placed opposite the character of the works of the flesh that discover themselves in the property of disobedience to the truth or unbelief in the truth. So, the fruit of the Spirit, known as meekness, is placed opposite of the works of the flesh. Two opposites. Fruit of the Spirit, meekness, is placed opposite of works of the flesh. Meekness, meaning the obedience to the Word of God, and works of the flesh are unbelief in the truth. Galatians 5, 19-24 Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, decessions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
And so the ability of a meek person to be anxious for nothing in the sphere of earthly well-being is opposed to the anxiety of a person whose lips are not bridled by the bonds of meekness. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4, as it is written, a meek tongue is a tree of life. Or, a, tree, a meek tongue is tree of life, perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Anxiety leading to the breaking of our spirit are the genetic bonds of fear passed on to us to the sinful speed of our fathers, which we are bound by because we do not grow in the soil of our good heart the fruit of meekness. And this is due to a lack of our stiffness. Take a look at the anatomy of the anxiety of a person. This is a person who has stiffness. Stiffness, uh, meaning I can't incline my ear or bend my neck to hear the word of God. Stiffness gives birth to ignorance. Ignorance gives birth to anxiety. And therefore, when God sees a person who is anxious, he sees us this person is ignorant in the word of God. He doesn't know it. Why? Because he is stiff. He can't incline his ear from the position of a disciple to be able to hear the word of God. That's why it's very interesting written here that anxiety is a person is ignorant, and if he's ignorant, this means he has a stiff neck. And this kind of anxiety talks about the lack in the heart of a person, the fruit of meekness, which points to the bad soil of his heart, which he has refused to cleanse of dead works in order to accept in the good soul of his heart the fruit of meekness, the seed of meekness, and bear the fruit of meekness in the subject of the tree of life. This can be seen or observed when comparing the meanings contained in these two words that are opposite of one another according to their character and their origin. And so the word cares and the word meekness cares cares of a person who is anxious, who is stiff, and the meekness of a Christian as a quality of the spirit. What are cares that discover themselves in anxiety? This is disobedience, disbelief, disobedience to the faith of God, the tongue not being bridled by meekness, coldness, stiffness, the snares of the evil one, and the path of death. What is the opposite opposing word meekness? Meekness that discovers itself in a bridled tongue is the tree of life grown in the good soil of the heart. It is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, its wisdom, strength, firmness, power, trust in God, mercy, compassion, and the snares of the kingdom of heaven in which we find ourselves in. The presence of the fruit of meekness in a person is evidence that this person is clothed in the dignity of a disciple of Christ's, which gives him the ability to resist the words that come from his own flesh so that he can open his lips for the proclamation of faith of God that dwells in his heart. Matthew 11:28-30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All you who are anxious, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This means we need to bend our necks that we can take so we can bind ourselves with this yoke under with Christ. So we can bind ourselves under this yoke under Christ. We place ourselves underneath this oak yoke and imagine Christ is standing right next to us who is also in this yoke and he says to me, take the yoke with me. God has inclined and taken the yoke of his heavenly father 
And for people, it's oftentimes difficult to bend their neck. And in order to take this yoke, one has to incline his neck and place this yoke on his shoulders and to bind himself with this yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is it light? Because Christ carries a yoke along with me. Well, how much can one ram bring but two that are tied together? Uh, that, that are carried together can bring a lot. Therefore, with Christ, we can't do anything. And the presence of anxiety in the soul of a person is evidence that discovers in a person the works of his flesh. We should depart from such people so that we do not lose what we worked hard for to inherit the kingdom of heaven and the fruit of the tree of life grown by us in the Eden of our heart. As it is written in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. These are characteristics of anxious people who refuse to acknowledge that they are bound by their corrupt desires, which they clothed in garments of pseudo-piety, that they do not lose their significance and self-esteem. So they don't lose their significance and self-esteem among the majority. So all of these lusts that are in this person that we have read about in the book of Timothy, a person clothes in pseudo-piety so that he doesn't lose his self-esteem or lose his self-confidence among others. And to test ourselves for the presence of meekness that discovers itself in our trust in God and His Word and waiting for the salvation of our body, it is necessary for us in brotherly love to pay attention to a specific phrase in this sign that we are studying according to which we can distinguish meekness from unbridledness and prudence from foolishness. This is according to our ability to open a request before God in prayer and supplication by thanksgiving, which, according to their properties, are the desires of God. Under the condition that these requests are bridled by the bridle of meekness that depict the will of God for us. And it is thanks to the presence of a thankful heart with thanksgiving. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And according to this, we can judge that we have the fruit of meekness. Because to turn upon ourselves, the thanksgiving of God is possible when we place or when we set ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which gives God the basis to show and affirm in us His salvation. Psalms 50:23. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. On God's end, to show us an answer to our supplication becomes a guarantee for us for the fulfillment of our salvation, and therefore it was necessary for us to remember four unique questions and to answer them. First, with what criteria does Scripture define the essence and status of the legitimacy of praise, which Scripture calls befitting praise, called to be a sign of brotherly love? 
Second, what purpose is befitting praise called to fulfill in worship to God, the sign according to which we can judge that we demonstrate in our faith the power of brotherly love? Third, what conditions are necessary to fulfill so that our praise gains the status of legitimacy, the sign according to which we can judge that we demonstrate in our faith the power of brotherly love? And fourth, by what results should we judge that praise that we offer God has a legitimate status according to which we can judge that we demonstrate in our faith the power Power of brotherly love. And so out of these questions, we today will answer the first one. Let us again read it, how it sounds, and then we'll go on to answer it. First question, with what criteria does Scripture define the essence and status of the legitimacy of praise? Or, what kind of praise does Scripture call befitting praise, the sign according to which we can judge of the presence of brotherly love in our faith? I'll remind you that we are talking about brotherly love. We are talking about brotherly love and brotherly love in which there is no correct praise unto God is not brotherly love because in order to correctly praise God, take a look, it was necessary to create a correct atmosphere to to create an atmosphere of the fruit of the Spirit or the atmosphere of the righteousness of God in us in the format of meekness. Meekness has helped us gain this atmosphere through which and in which we are able to turn to God with our prayers and supplications in the format of thanksgiving. Not just ask to receive uh, because our supplications must always be in the format of praise. We thank God Because what does it mean to ask with thanksgiving? I say, Lord, I thank you that that which I am asking of you has already been placed on my account in Christ Jesus, on my account. And if we look in the list at what is on this account, then that which Christians ask of Christ or the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, this isn't even on this list. Lord, I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ that that which I ask is already in Christ Jesus and it already lies and is found in my account. And if this is in my account, then I fulfill the will of God with this prayer. I just simply withdraw from this account in the correct time established by God that which has already been placed on my account. But if my account doesn't have specific things and I begin to withdraw, then I can't thank God for this. We thank God for that which is already placed on our account. I can't say, Lord, thank you for this thing. He says, this thing isn't on your account. It's not there. I thank you that this person is going to be my husband. He says, this isn't on your account. Or this wife or this girl that's going to be my wife. I thank you that 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 she is my wife. Well, this this girl isn't on your account. Or this car. I thank you that this car is on my account. I take it, accept it, it is mine. Well, no. We can only thank God for that which is placed in Christ Jesus on our account. Not this car, not this spouse, not, not anyone. We should not thank God for those things that weren't placed on our account in, in Christ Jesus, and we shouldn't conduct our prayers in this way. In, in thanking God incorrectly. There will be eight of these definitions of befitting praise. Let's begin. First, the legitimacy of befitting praise unto God in song is defined as an inherited right belonging only to the sons of Aaron, which is comprised of showing the perfection of God, calling us out from darkness and into His marvelous light. So, this is a certain kind of heritage. We must be a certain heritage the heritage of God in order to do correct, legitimate praise. How important this is. We must be the heritage, the people of God, 
Psalms 147.1 Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is befitting. Befitting praise is the authority of a warrior prayer for the right to be a king, priest, and prophet, which is possible only when a person, through instruction and faith, grows into the full measure of the stature of Christ. And this can occur when his justification, which he received in the form of a deposit, will be placed by him in circulation in the death of the Lord Jesus, so that the, in the resurrection of Christ he could receive it in the fruit of righteousness as a belonging. Psalms 33, 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is befitting. And so the word praise relates only to God, the word of God, and the works of God. In Hebrew, the word praise means, it means to honor, glorify, think, be grateful, shine, and emit light. Take a look that the word praise relates only to God, His word, and to the works of God. Oh, what a beautiful semantic that is written here in the definition of these words. When we refer into a specific praise in which God is praised with the authority and right to praise Him, then the word praise in Hebrew means present evidence for the right to praise God, list the names and titles of God, list the works done by God, thank God for the works He has done, praise and trust in God, trust in God and not leave one's assembly, to be faithful to our calling and to learn and fulfill the desires of God. With this, the meaning contained in the definition of praise is the expression of the foundational discipline of the Spirit, which is multifaceted and multifunctional in the format of unceasing praise to God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore by Him let us continually... So, through God the Son, offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Continually offering the sacrifice of praise, meaning the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. And therefore, the question itself, who is praise meant for? And through whom is this praise brought? It's not rhetorical, although we all have an answer that it is for God and through God. However, if all of us were to have one understanding of God, then we today would not have all kinds of jungles of religious sects and denominations excluding each other and at war with each other. And our service to God and our prayer homes and temples would not differ from one another. And God would not have a reason to tell us that our incense before Him is an abomination and that He cannot endure and He despises the pomp of our celebratory gatherings. According to Scripture, we together believe in one God, who Israel believed in, who on the pages of Scripture is revealed in three personas, the head of which is God the Father. In Scripture, under the word one, is referring to the organic integrity of sovereign beings pursuing a single goal, where each has his own individual face, his own individual function or role, as well as his individual purpose or vocation. There exists the thought, word, and action. These three definitions express a wholeness and unity which, despite three different functions, fully coincide with the definition of one or unity. 
Because despite their different functions, they flow from one source and pursue one goal. The word flows from the thought, the action flows from the word, or the word produces the action. In these three definitions and actions are hidden the functions of the Father, the Son, and the functions of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Father expresses itself in the function of the thought. The role of the Son expresses itself in the function of the Word, which reveals and represents the thought of God. Whereas the role of the Holy Spirit expresses itself in the function of the action that fulfills the Word. From this order of functions, it follows that in prayer, we must turn to the main face, or rather to the Father, who is represented by and from whom proceed the following two faces, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The Son and Holy Spirit are the intercessors or mediators between the thought, word, and the fulfillment of this word. However, despite the fact that the Holy Spirit intercedes before God for us and with us, the intercession of the Son stands as head, because the Holy Spirit proceeds not from Himself, but from what the Son has spoken, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man of Christ Jesus. Considering that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the mediator between us and His Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit is the power that makes our intercession legitimate, we must, in our prayers, always turn to God as to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. John 15, 16 You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Violation of this principle discredits our right to prayer and causes the anger of God against the one that prays. I have seen many times similar religious bacchanalia, says Apostle Arkady, in which the leaders of the charismatic gatherings urge the people to blow kisses to Jesus as a token of their love for Jesus. Of course, not all religious leaders, leaders share such blasphemy to blow kisses to Jesus, but many of them, despite their exclusive position, either they turn to Jesus directly, thus ignoring the primacy of the Heavenly Father, or they turn through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or through Mary, the mother of Jesus, or through some other people whom they have elevated to the category of holy saints of God. And therefore, in essence, these people are no different from each other, although they classify themselves as a specific denomination that excludes other confessions or denominations. The fact is that in Scripture the term praise is a kind of legal instrument as well as a legal format. Praise, again, is a legal instrument, a correct instrument, a lawful instrument, as well as a legal format that confirms the legitimate relationship of a person with God. Therefore, it is through praise that the children of God are called to confirm their right to a legal relationship with God as with their Heavenly Father, 
in order to build correct relationships with him and receive timely help from him. Thus, it is based on the presence of the right to legitimately praise God that we should test ourselves for the demonstration of the power of brotherly love and faith which leads us from death to life. And this was the first component of the definition of praise. Praise must be legitimate, and as we had heard, that we must consider ourselves the heritage of God or combine unite ourselves to the heritage of God and pray as the Levites had done, Aaron and his sons. They needed to correctly study how to turn to God, how to bring a sacrifice, how to correctly turn to the Lord. And we saw here that we must turn always we must, if, if we don't do this already, we need to uh, reteach ourselves that we must turn ourselves to the Father and, and stop speaking with the Holy Spirit or with the Son. This pr places us, we lose our status, places us at the level of, of others, a status likely that we had not had in the first place. A king, priest, and prophet is a person who ne will never allow himself to violate the legitimacy of the prayer of praise and as we have seen here we turn to the father through the son with the power of the holy spirit and when we turn dear heavenly father in the name of jesus christ we don't just say the specific praise in order to receive something but we know that in these words there is a lot that is contained in them and we had read this this whole whole point this this whole point about how to correctly pray and what legitimacy of praise is. It begins from a correct action toward our Heavenly Father, a correct and the Holy Spirit, He is the intercessor. The Holy Spirit, despite the fact that He's an intercessor, He's also mediator. There is another intercessor who is the mediator between man and the Father. This is Jesus Christ. Take a look at how unique the Holy Spirit is. He intercedes for us day and night with, with every breath. But he never uh, surpass or he never replaces the intercession of the of the Son, because he proceeds from the position of the Word. He acts based on what the Son has spoken. He does this with him and with us through Jesus Christ. So we need to pray correctly. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we don't need to make up any kind of other prayers. Second, the legitimacy of befitting praise unto God is an identifier of the kingdom of heaven in a person. Psalms 51, 6 Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. In this place of scripture, we are talking about a kind of truth that can dwell only in the heart of a person born from the seed of the word of truth and who has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ, which yields the kingdom of heaven in the heart of a person within the boundaries of which God receives the foundation to show his wisdom in the revelations of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 through 28. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, 
you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And so a new heart and a new spirit is the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven in our heart that is yielded by the commandments and statutes of the Lord that are contained in the reigning teaching of Christ. And so, to walk in the boundaries of the commandments and statutes is one of the components of befitting praise that testifies of the presence of the kingdom of heaven within us. Thus, it is thanks to the presence in our heart of the collaboration of truth hidden in our heart with the revelations of the Holy Spirit that reveal this truth that we should test ourselves for the presence of the demonstration of the power of brotherly love in our faith which leads us from death to life. So we must have this kind of collaboration of truth that is hidden in our heart with the revelations of the Holy Spirit that reveal this truth. And as it was presented for us in the book of Ezekiel, that a person, a new person, new man, God wants to give a heart of flesh and to take a heart of stone. I always thought, even when I was a child, when I heard about this and I thought, well, I can't understand. I'm a person. I am of the flesh. Why does God want to take my heart of a stone and give me a heart of flesh that is made of the flesh, that it has a pulse that is beating? I can't understand. Well, maybe Ezekiel didn't understand that a person can't have a stone in their heart. He understood. He understood. Because you can't call a person whose heart is stone, a, a heart of stone can only be in a stiff person. A heart of flesh is a heart of the second atom that beats and that it has a pulse. The pulse of God. This is a heart in which there is the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven that expresses itself in the fact that in our heart we took out all the works of the flesh. We have cleansed our conscience from all kinds of wicked and, and evil works. How does God remove this heart of stone? He cleanses it of all kinds of dead works, and then He writes in there the statutes of God, the teaching of God, and then through the Holy Spirit and through hearing the Word of God, He begins to reveal these commandments. And in this manner, a heart of stone is removed and we receive what? A heart of flesh. Because all people who are born on this planet Earth, they are born with hearts of stone. When a person is born again, he has a heart of stone. Uh, one who is carnal has a heart of stone. One who is a carnal who is an infant has a heart of stone. And God says, I want to remove it in order to place my word in there in the Holy Spirit so that it can become a heart of flesh like the second Adam. I would like to be a person. I would like to be a person. And for this, it is necessary for us to not have, for us to have a heart of like the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Third, the legitimacy of befitting praise unto God is defined as the presence of God amid the praises of Israel, in which God reveals Himself and in which He becomes the intercessor of our trust and our salvation. Psalms 22, verses 1 through 5. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our father, fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were delivered. 
they trusted in you and were not ashamed. In this prayer of David to God, we on numerous occasions paid attention to these moments. First, the presence in our heart of organized partaking to Israel, among whom God lives, which in practice means that our prayer of praise must be tied to our heritage to Israel, Israel meaning warrior prayer, and serve as an organized partaking to the trust of the fathers of Israel. Second, a prayer cry lasting day and night is left without answer until there is befitting praise. And third, a prayer cry mixed with praise serve as a definition and evidence of our trust in God and His Word in which our fathers trusted. And therefore, the lack of befitting praise in the cry of prayer serves as proof that a person refuses to trust in God, by virtue of which such a prayer sacrifice dishonors God. That is why this kind of prayer will never be answered by God, because in these prayers there is no involvement in the praises of Israel, testifying to the state of a righteous heart, which testifies before God about our trust in His Word, on which our fathers trusted. The legitimacy of such befitting praise lies in the fact that a person thanks God for the promises that God promised and which he has hidden in his heart and patiently waits for God to bring them to fulfillment. Thus, it is precisely because of the presence in our heart of the partaking to the praises of Israel, in which we trust in the word of God, in which our fathers trusted, is revealed that one should test oneself for the presence of evidence in one's faith of the power of brotherly love, which transfers us from death to life. This was the third quality. What is legitimate prayer? legitimate praise comprised of that we must partake to the praises of Israel praises of Israel how does it differ from the Gentiles from people of Israel they have a promise a promise by God and as we had heard pastor on Sunday had said that they gave their vows Israel gave their vows for them this was normal because the word promise the root of it is the word vow they made a vow with the Lord on the foundation of the word of God and the Lord had given them a promise. And they what? They began to think and praise Him. And we must partake ourselves not to the praises of unknown people, but the praises of Israel as our fathers had done, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as Christ the apostles had done, as Israel had praised. They always did this through a vow unto God, giving a vow unto God, and being found in this covenant, they waited and they thanked God for what they had seen, and they waited for the fulfillment of what was unseen in hope. And this is what it means to wait, to learn to praise with a legitimate praise, a praise that is compared to the praise in Israel. Even though today, although this is not a criteria of example, but take a look at others. They pray and they trust, they're killed, they're destroyed. Others continue to pray in somewhere inside, in their genes, somewhere this remained. They are hated across the whole world, but they rejoice, they sing, they dance, they thank God, they sing psalms to Him. Of course, there are different sides which we aren't talking about, the negative sides of them. Uh, they are found, in, they are under the anger of God. 
But let's take a look at these praises that occur because we have them all. We have it also inside of us. We have a partaking to Israel. And how is this defined in us? We look at the we we look like the people of Israel. We had something in our future, and this gives us joy. And we praise God. And we thank Him. Not as the Gentiles, if if things are going well, they rejoice. If the things are going bad, they cry. We are always rejoicing, as our fathers had rejoiced. We look at the invisible, and we thank God, and we proclaim. In doing so, we are an organized partaking to Israel as warriors of prayer, and this is a legitimate praise, so that we can look like our fathers which we find on the pages of Scripture and those whom God has given to us in the church who are a real-life example for us. Fourth, the legitimacy of befitting praise unto God is defined by walking prudently or observing when we go into the house of God for mutual worship to God. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. I will mention that a thought comes. You're going to say that I need to prepare myself when I come to church. No. Pastor, in this point, he had raised the bar so high that it's not just to prepare a heart for 15 minutes before service. It's not just turn on radio Christian music on our way here. It's not just to pray in tongues before service and to not say swear words about an hour before church. This is all present. However, we saw this in more of a, a more of a magnified level. Let's take a look at mutual worship and how we can prepare uh, prepare a direction for what reason we're going to the temple of God. This is what this the scripture is referring to ultimately our path which we are obligated or obliged to observe is a determination and direction to the goal of our exalted calling in Christ Jesus which is called to reveal itself in our body in the power of eternal life erected in the place of the power of death and so to direct or to walk prudently walk prudently when you go into the house of God the definition of this is is to have a direction toward our goal of our exalted calling in Christ Jesus which will reveal itself in the power of eternal life in our body that is erected in the place of the power of death this is preparation to service, to walk prudently when we go into the house of God. This direction towards the goal, towards the correct goal, is defined in Scripture by the boundaries of our responsibility or our vocation, which consists in the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. And therefore, the essence of observing one's own foot is the ability to judge oneself in determining the purpose of one's vocation, which consists in raising the power of incorruption in our body. And so, once again, as I had understood from what I've read, that walking prudently when we go in the house of God is to have a correct goal. What kind of goal am I pursuing? A person goes into church. He has not said bad words. He has listened to Christian music. He has prayed in tongues. You will ask him, Brother, tell me your main calling from the Lord. I don't know, to evangelize, to go save the world, to go do good works. No. The main goal 
is comprised, and our calling is comprised of erecting the power of eternal life in our body so that our body could be a temple of His majesty. This is the main goal. We come into this temple, into the church of God, so that our body could become a temple in His majesty, in which His majesty can live in. Of course, He feels Himself comfortably among us, but you know what? He isn't simply here among us. We come, and He is found in the temple of our body. He is found in us. This is the atmosphere that is present, thanks to which we are found. Walk prudently means to know specifically our calling. And this is not all. Let us continue. And then Pastor will will say that each one must know their calling in the body of Christ, their role that they must fulfill. And if a person does not fulfill this role, this means that the fact that he likes this main promise, the erection of the power of life in his body, because he doesn't correctly act towards his role in the church, uh, this promise is discredited and all his prayer in tongues, all his prayer, all this music that he had heard before service, all of this is discredited before God due to our incorrect uh, role in our church. Let us read on further. And such observa- observation of one's path is a preamble or preparation for the offering of the sacrifice of praise, which exactly elevates our praise to the status of legitimacy. Refusal to watch our foot or our way when we go to the house of prayer for joint praise is a refusal to bear the responsibility assigned to us by God or the loss of our dignity and our place in the body of Christ. In Scripture, one of the components of our righteousness consists in fulfilling our calling, which expresses itself in preserving our dignity, which is determined by the place in the assembly of saints in which God has placed us, from which position we could, by His deeds, in order to renew His thinking with the spirit of His mind, in order to renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind, and then, by the power of the renewed mind, to begin the process of putting on incorruption or imperishability in the face of our new man. While one of the components of wickedness is the abandonment of one's congregation or refusal to fulfill one's role in showing one's faith in the power of brotherly love, which transfers us from the state of eternal death to the state of eternal life. When a person, at his own discretion, leaves his place where he could fulfill his calling in showing brotherly love in his faith, the sacrifice of praise that he brings to God will not receive God's favor, but will cause his wrath. So, as proceeding from the statements of Scripture, only the righteous, only the righteous, who practice the truth, and that they watch their way or keep keep their place in the body of Christ, decently praise and praise the Lord, and thus show brotherly love in their faith. Psalms 33.1 Rejoice in the Lord, O your righteous, for praise from the upright is befitting. Befitting or decent in this place of scripture means just, upright, worthy, suiting, wonderful. If our praise is pronounced without an organized partaking to our place in the body of Christ, 
Before this, we talked about how we need to have an organized partake into Israel, to the people of Israel, because they have the promise and they make a vow unto God and they are found in this and they look upon this promise and they thank God for it with a joyful heart. But here, for us it is written that we must have an organized partaking to our place in the body of Christ, which determines our meeting in the face of a good wife. And there is no concretization of the promises for which we praise God, then this serves as a proof of our wickedness and our praise is no longer possible. It is no longer possible to be called befitting praise. As it is written, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is befitting. Therefore, befitting means meeting the requirements of God's holiness, separated from evil, not privy to disobedience, putting oneself in dependence on the revelations of God, praying in accordance with the requirements of the time, keeping our place in the body of Christ, and turning the favor of God upon ourselves or winning the favor of God. And therefore, praise expressed in prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, this is our cooperation with the promises of God, giving Him the basis to keep our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thus, it is precisely by the ability to watch our feet when we go to the house of God that we should test ourselves for the presence of evidence in our faith of the power of brotherly love, which transfers us from death to life. So take a look, a very interesting, uh, a broad fourth component or definition, what is legitimate praise? We had paid attention to the fact that this is that praise when a person observes his foot when he goes into the temple of God. And how can he observe his foot? This, as we had read, this is to know the correct goal that we pursue uh, in our calling. This is the reign of the power of life in our body. And this is possible only when a person not just thinks that he is partaking to Israel, but he is, must be partaking to his local church. And when a person acts towards his service incorrectly, what is a calling, for example? Apostle has a calling of an apostle. I have, for example, and leaders of cell groups, this, these are to be waterers, for example. And then, if all of a sudden, I want to be the one that plants. The thing is, is that you won't even know this. In order to know a, how a water is transformed into a planter without the agreement of God, you could either need to scan and a spiritual person will be able to see this right away because this is the direct transformation into uncleanliness. And therefore, when a person loses his position in the body of Christ and doesn't act toward his specific calling correctly, a waterer or a leader, when they act incorrectly towards the service, this incorrect, uh, it loses our calling in Christ Jesus, the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies, because all of these callings, they are tied with one another. What is written about the angels? That they did, could not, did not keep their place, their dwelling place, their calling in heaven. They left it. And therefore, what? They are going to be in the 
darkness. What did they do? They left their dwelling place, a specific calling. This third part of the angels, each angel had a specific calling in heaven. How did they leave it? They said, we're leaving? No. They said, move over. I want to stand in front. You talk to him too with Lucifer? Yes, you too? You, oh, me too. And they begin to lose their place. They left their dwelling means they were not found in the place in which God called them to, to see ourselves in a different position, and this is very dangerous. Therefore, this calling, this main calling of us that we have, for which we are here and which we hear about, it is kept through a correct relationship toward the church. And of course, then our correct relationship toward the people of Israel, which we talked about in the third point. And now the fifth point. We today are talking about the praise, praise of God, praise unto God, the definition. Fifth, the legitimacy of befitting praise unto God is in observing mercy, justice, and trust in God. So there we looked, we watched our foot, and here we need to observe mercy, justice, and trust in God. Turns out that a person who praises God is a very observant person. He is a very attentive person, very attentive. He listens very attentively. Hosea chapter 12, verses 5 through 6. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and await on your God continually. In defining the essence of befitting praise, we noted that its components are not exhausted only in the praise of our lips. And if we praise God, but at the same time do not observe mercy and judgment and do not trust in God, our praise cannot be called befitting praise. So, if we praise God, but also don't know how to observe mercy and judgment and trust in God, then this praise is not befitting. It is not a good kind of praise. But befitting praise, in the action of the verb to observe, in relation to mercy and judgment, means to keep oneself from idols in order to give God a foundation to show us His mercy and judgment. This is to observe mercy and judgment. And it is precisely because of the ability to turn to God in order to observe mercy and judgment and to trust in God that one should test oneself for the presence of evidence in one's faith of the power of brotherly love which transfers us from death to life. Therefore, we must observe mercy and judgment. This means to have the ability to choose good and to reject all that is evil. This means that we are observing mercy and judgment and trust in God. Sixth, the legitimacy of befitting praise unto God is defined in affirming power by the Holy Spirit in which we were clothed according to the gift of God's grace in the format of the fruit of righteousness according to which we contest for brotherly love. And so legitimate praise is the power in which is present, the power of the Holy Spirit. If there is no power of the Holy Spirit, this is not a legitimate praise. What kind of praise is this? because it does not have power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 68, 29, Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. This is what the power is, lies in. Turns out, Lord, that which you have done for us, this is a strength for us. And therefore, a prayer of praise expressed in all its formats 
in which it is not stated who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and by whom we come to God in Christ Jesus, cannot claim the right to be called befitting praise. Take a look at what this power is comprised of. The Lord has commanded your strength. He says, Lord, affirm or strengthen what you have done for us in this Psalms. We see who God is for us, what God has done for us. Take a look at what strength is, not what I can do, but our strength lies in what God has done for us. I don't think I can scare anyone in hell. They are afraid of me because we have Christ in us. And therefore, in order to have strength that turns hell over, we must say who God is for us and what God has done for us. In Hebrew, the power of the Holy Spirit implies the power and strength of the New Testament in our hearts, the kingdom of heaven that is within us, truth in the heart containing the commandments and statutes, the heavenly host in the confession of the faith of God, the weapon of our warfare, the wealth of the grace of God, possibilities of the grace of God, and power on the right to step on any enemy force power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the definition of the power of the Holy Spirit in us consists in our ability to receive the revelations of the Holy Spirit, revealing the power of the Word of God hidden in our hearts in the truth of the commanding teaching of Christ, and therefore, the affirmation of the power of the Holy Spirit in befitting praise can occur through the cooperation of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit with the rational capabilities of our innermost person who has come to the full measure of the statute of Christ, who will work with our thinking, the renewed spirit of our mind, which in turn will work with our meek lips, bridled by the truth hidden in our heart. Here we see the anatomy, how the power of the Holy Spirit expresses itself. It turns out that in order to proclaim what God has done for me, who he is for me, pastor says that befitting praise and the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit is the cooperation of the word of the Holy of the Word and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the word in our heart and through the proclamation with our meek lips, with our meek lips, the power of God. This is what the proclamation is or the affirmation of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just let us pray loud in tongues. No, this can be done by any person, any kind of person can do this thing. Sometimes you need to either be either very courageous or very or to to try to mess around with volumes thinking that this is what power power lies in but our power and the fact that the Holy Spirit we say I know that you reveal your revelation to that truth that is hidden in my heart that with, with which I have renewed my thinking and which I proclaim through my meek lips meek lips quietly and calmly Christ never yelled he never yelled he spoke calmly meekly I never saw kings yelling. I never saw, for example, President of Russia yelling. No. He behaves himself as pastors in church rarely do. He acts towards acts towards people with such respect towards people as pastors. Many pastors don't have. Because upon him, 
is a certain kind of anointing, that God has given him the anointing to, to do that which he has been called to do. What does this mean? This means that a person has authority, and authority isn't in his um, his volume of voice. As soon as a person lifts up his, his, his volume, uh, he considers himself lofty, and he loses his status before God. He tries to raise his voice to show his power or strength. But no, strength is when a person speaks calmly and something happens in the spiritual realm. And all others, presidents and so forth, kings, very rarely will you see someone clothed in authority to yell. No, when a person has this kind of burden that is on him, because there is no power that is not placed from God. I've seen people in their ordinary life, they yell. And I said, and I, when a person, a cowboy, for example, when he began a president, what happened to him? He's speaking so calmly. The Lord said, you will be an anointed one of mine. You'll be an instrument in my hands and do that which I have placed you to do. A person, according to his nature, from Texas, yells, and all of a sudden he speaks uh, calmly, quietly, and he speaks uh, very respectfully. But when he stops, uh, he, he stops maintaining this position, then he once again yells. Why? Because he used his, his calling. The Lord said, that's it. I don't need you anymore as an instrument. And therefore, a person begins to once again to act as an African or as a boy from Texas loudly. But we are kings and prophets unto God. Therefore, we must understand what this strength lies in. We must know that the power of the Holy Spirit is meant for us, is intended for us, for one single person, so that we go and take possession of the land of our body, which God, with an oath, promised to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Deuteronomy 1, 1, 8, verses 1 through 18. Every commandment which I commanded you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And so, specifically, it is according to our ability to be clothed in the power. It is according to the ability to be clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit to govern the land promised to us by God in the subject of our body. We should test ourselves for the demonstration of the power of brotherly love in our faith, which leads us from death to life. So, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is this power expressed in, or the strength? We talked about the seventh component. The legitimacy of befitting praise unto God in partaking to the praises of Israel is in the exaltation of God above the ruins of the fortress of idolaters, both in our body and in the minds of our assembly, or in the midst of our assembly. We must praise God that the fortresses of idolaters have, are in ruins by the power of God in our body as well as in the midst of our assembly. A strong proclamation. Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 5. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin. Amen. He did a wonderful thing, which is a city made a ruin. A fortified city of ruin, a place of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. He brought the place of foreign palaces of foreigners to be a city no more. 
and these foreigners that live in our body they live in us and God by his power he destroys them in us and he destroys their strongholds again therefore the strong people will glorify you the city of the terrible nations will fear you for you have been a strength to the poor a strength to the needy in his distress a refuge from the storm a shade from the heat for the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall you will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place as heat in the shadow of a cloud the song of the terrible ones will be diminished and so under the city in ruins and the fortified city in our body in ruins should be viewed as the casting out of the thoughts of the old man and his genetic program inherited by us from the vain life of our fathers therefore how can we pray formula of prayer and read we can say in the name of Jesus Christ I for, I die to the sinful inheritance from my forefathers. I thank you that I have been delivered. Or we can say, Lord, I thank you that you turn the palace of foreigners to be a city no more, and all of these uh, fortresses in my body to ruins. This is referring to the genetic program that these foreigners have. And this is in our body. And in our assembly, the city in ruins and strong fortresses that are brought to ruins should be viewed as a casting out of the plans of the wicked and lawless people. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-6 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds. Take a look here. Uh, before we talked about uh, the strength of prayer in the Holy Spirit that is done through meek lips, this is when we have meekness in the heart. But here, a strong prayer is expressed in the fact that we destroy the fortresses and the strongholds and we destroy the plans and we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled it is according to the ability to exalt God over the ruins of the idolaters both in our body and in the midst of our congregation that we should test ourselves for the presence of the power of brotherly love in our faith so the Lord wants to bring these ruins and these strongholds in ruins, to ruins, through our prayer, through our intercession. And the Lord has given us power to do so. All right, the eighth point. The legitimacy of befitting praise in partaking to the praises of Israel is defined in a righteous prayer, both in the mind and in tongues. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, the utterance may be given to me 
that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. But take a look here at what prayer in tongues is meant for. Apostle says, please direct this during our prayer service, pray in spirit and direct it uh, with all consistency and supplication regarding saints. Tongues is a wonderful weapon that we can use for our saints and for those that are given the word. Our pastor, speaking tongues is the result of baptism in the Holy Spirit and it is called to give us the opportunity to understand our call our partaking to God's people. However, the calling and purpose of speaking in tongues fulfills its goals when we understand their purpose and exercise them as a weapon according to the norms established in Scripture. So we need to uh, correctly act toward tongues and we have 12 definitions. Let's, let's read them quickly and remember the 12 definitions about how we can correctly act toward, toward tongues because this is the power which we must use in order to pray for ourselves, for the people of God as well as those people who give to us the word. And this is a unique weapon that is necessary to use. And so these are 12 components that tell us about tongues, why we need tongues. Uh, first, speaking in tongues is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that is given to us for profit. So speaking in tongues is given to us for profit under the condition that we use it correctly according to Scripture. According to Scripture, If we don't use it according to Scripture, later on we will see that speaking in tongues will not be given for profit, but it will destroy us. But if we use it correctly, speaking in tongues is going to be given to us for profit. Second, speaking in tongues are intended to serve as our harness that help us to obey the Holy Spirit as a writer whose interests we are called to fulfill. Therefore, if it is difficult for me to obey the Word of God, um, I will have a hard time submitting to the Holy Spirit. And in order to bridle our emotions, it is necessary to pray in tongues, especially when a person has anger. Try this. When you have anger, wrath, try to pray in tongues. That's difficult, very difficult. It's, it's dry. It doesn't work. Why? Because tongues are called to serve as a harness that help us control our horse. Try when there's anger and wrath on someone. Try to. Uh, so that they don't hear, but to pray, pray in tongues quietly. An atmosphere of the Holy Spirit will come and dwell because through tongues in these difficult circumstances uh, where we might express anger, we are able in this moment to bridle our 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 horse and to place him where he needs to, to be placed. Third, speaking in tongues are intended to be a wheel in the hands of the Holy Spirit as the pile of our faith so that our faith can be guided where God wants it so that we can be guided um, when there are winds that blow and when he tell when the enemy tells us leave it all leave the wheel you can't do anything no we need to use speaking tongues when i feel that i am losing control of the wheel in the hands and that the wind is trying to steer my ship this is not normal the wind doesn't have a right to steer my ship the wind is supposed to help me to move faster toward the goal under the condition a good captain is one who knows how to control the wheel. 
And therefore, when I am uh, in difficult circumstances, I say, Lord, I thank you for this wind. But right now, I am going to speak in tongues in order to guide my wheel in the correct direction. I will use this wind that is against me. I will use it against Satan. Fourth, speaking in tongues is intended to bring rest to the weary and burdened. So this is the wonderful place where we can be comforted in God in tongues. When we are very tired, then the Lord says, oh, why don't you speak in tongues? And then all of a sudden there is comfort and rest and our strength is restored. Five, speaking in tongues is a law that witnesses and frees us from the Egyptian bondage of our soul. So the soul, our Egypt, our intellect, our mind, it doesn't want to hear tongues because it doesn't understand it. But we must use it because this is the tongue of our spirit. And in order to exit out of the bonds of Egypt, we need to run to these tongues. Six, speaking in tongues is a supernatural ability to magnify God. So when our heart is meek and it is prepared and it is cleansed of dead works and when in our heart is written the truth of the word of God and this truth also dwells in our thinking and this truth is also spoken by our tongue, then we begin to do what? We begin to magnify God. But a heart in which there is no truth, a mind that is not renewed and lips that are not meek, their speaking in tongues will not bring them any kind of benefit and it will not magnify God. A speaking tongues will say, will ask for mercy so that somehow God can save this kind of a person. But in order to magnify, we must understand that someone might pray beautifully in tongues and then when he goes to his his own tongue uh, then he, he has no words this happens at times too seven speaking in tongues is a unique form of prophecy here this doesn't make uh, me a prophet but it makes me one who prophecies eight speaking in tongues is a confidential conversation with God secret trustworthy and intimate the pastor says never Speak of your weaknesses. When you have a weakness, never speak them in your own language. On the contrary, when you are weak, talk, say, I am strong. And devil can understand, well, where are his weak sides? He's, he's thanking God for everything. When we thank God in our own language, our uh, Russian, Ukrainian, German language, uh, a person, when he thanks God, the <laughs> devil can't understand where our weak sides are. Pastor says, never talk about your weaknesses in your own language. Lord, I can't do this. I can't do that. I am weak. In your own language, if you're weak, say, I am strong in Christ Jesus. Devil says, well, what are, where are his weak sides? I can't understand. Where should I guide and direct my demons? But when we pray in tongues, there here our spirit begins to pray in tongues to God and say, Lord, in this fear, in this fear, it's necessary to help me hear my weak sides. We pray this in tongues, so the devil doesn't understand. Therefore, when we pray in our own tongue, we talk about our strong sides. I am strong in Christ Jesus. When we pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit will tell the Father what we have a need in. A secretive language. Nine, speaking in tongues is satisfying oneself and the spirit. So we satisfy our spirit. Speaking in tongues, 10, is the ability to gain fruit of the Spirit or to feed our spirit. So this is food that is for our spirit. 
Beloved, speaking in tongues is the weapon of God given to us that we could resist the powers of darkness. Here we see that the powers of darkness understand this and they want us to try to stray away from this weapon. Twelve, speaking in tongues is one of the unique signs for the unbelievers. From all this, we can conclude that speaking in tongues and baptism in the Holy Spirit is a necessary weapon that unites us to the dignity of the name Israel, warrior prayer. Our partaking to which will allow us to become partakers of the army of Israel. Unceasing prayer designed to separate us daily from everything unholy and bring us closer to God is in fact the great mystery of God Himself. And therefore, prayer is firstly, let us take a look at seven definitions of prayer, what prayer is for, because without the definition of prayer, speaking in tongues will not have any power. Take a look, Pastor had offered to us 12 components that he had given us why we need speaking in tongues, and then he moved on to the next ones to remind us what is the true meaning in the prayer of God. Because if we don't have these 12, uh, if we don't have these seven components, then speaking in tongues won't bring us any benefit. So let's look at what prayer is. Prayer is the only way that expresses the legitimate relationship of the Son of God and the Holy Spirit with God the Father. So when we pray, Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, this is a true prayer. In our prayer, in our prayer, we sp- we're talking with the language of prayer. When we are prayer, we must create that atmosphere that is found in heaven. And when we say, when we try to pray directly to Jesus, pray directly to the Holy Spirit, this doesn't exist in heaven. This kind of atmosphere doesn't exist in heaven. The atmosphere expresses itself in the lawful relationship between the Son of God and the Holy Spirit with God the Father. This means what? That this revelation, this relationship with them, it is must be present in our format of prayer when we say, Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Second, prayer is a dialogue between a person and God designed to flow and be created in the ministry or the mystery in which God delights to well and what kind of mystery in the secret room of course this is in our heart and which is hidden the truth of the word of god these mysteries cannot be neglected because prayer is always created in the in the secret or the mystery of god it is the mystery the secret of god in my heart the pastor says close your eyes close your eyes and this is an image of a secret or a mystery room if we have closed our eyes but there is no secret room inside of us this is not a mystery room. You might, in order to close our eyes for there to be a mystery room, it needs, it's necessary for the truth to dwell in our, in our heart. Third, prayer is the way a person rules the earth and gives God a reason to change the course of events on earth. Fourth, prayer that is interrupted cannot separate us from the unholy and therefore cannot be called prayer. Fifth, prayer is an instrument of a legal relationship with God designed to reveal the immeasurable possibilities of grace. All of this is done through prayer. Six, prayer is expression of the will of God represented in the fruit of our spirit fulfilling the hunger and thirst for God. So through prayer, the fruit of our spirit is presented thanks to the fact that we have a meek heart. And seven, prayer is a sacrifice that in the fruit of our meek lips, bridled by the truth hidden in our hearts, glorifies God. And this is what prayer is. If we have it, then prayer and tongues in the 12 points previously is going to be correctly used by us. And then God is always going to answer us. And now let's 
define why God is silent and doesn't answer the 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 prayers of of people. Lord, I have prayer. I pray in tongues. Why is there silence? There is a reason. Let us take a look. First, there is a big difference between a priest and an ordinary person and also between a carnal person and a spiritual person because an ordinary person, like a carnal person, cannot, does not know, and does not have the right position and dignity to enter the presence of God. This is the exclusive prerogative, rights, and authority of the Lord's priests or spiritual people. Take a look. Who can enter into the presence of God? Why does not God, God not answer? God wants who, who to enter into His presence? The priest, the high priest, into the presence of God. And our this is a, in our situation. This is a, a spiritual person. Therefore, when God is silent, one of the parameters is that before His presence must enter a spiritual person who meets the uh, status of a king, priest, and prophet in his heart and his spirit. Second. Why does God not answer our prayer? If we do not know how God can answer prayers, then even if He answers, we will believe that He is either silent or we will perceive His answer incorrectly. So we need to understand how God answers. Sometimes pastor says, His silence is a wonderful answer. As he said, it's a wonderful answer. person doesn't understand this. He thinks that uh, when God answers, there must be some kind of signs or wonders or, or sounds. Sometimes God's silence is the wonderful answer. We simply must be, uh, t- t- we simply must learn how God answers. And when a person doesn't, he is going to stumble upon uh, the silence. Third, why is God silent? The silence of God in a certain case can also be an eloquent answer to our prayer. Fourth, the silence of God in answer to our prayer can occur when we do not work with the intercession of the Holy Spirit through the other language that we have. Romans 8.26 For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we are talking about tongues, that this can be done when we know what prayer is and how we can correctly pray. And then the Holy Spirit is going to be able to intercede with us with the groanings which cannot be uttered. He won't uh, utter without us. Scripture says He will make intercession for us, with us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Fifth, unanswered prayer does not mean that God has cheated on us or forgot about us. On the contrary, He loves us and remains faithful to us. Six, God wants us to yearn for Him, seek His face constantly, and enter His presence. So here there are very many principles for us to wait for Him as a bride bride waits for her groom, as priests had done. Priests they did not rush to go into the presence of God. Those that had rushed and hastily went in incorrectly into the temple, they were killed. They were killed. And therefore, priests knew that no one should rush or haste into the presence of God in order to quickly receive an answer from God. Priests had never or never rushed to receive an answer from God because they never rush to enter into the presence of God without having a correct status a correct atmosphere in their heart. Seventh, let us remember that only to the humble God gives His grace through which we can enter the presence of the Lord. As priests, we need to learn to enter into the presence of the Lord while having the right spirit, the right motives, and the proper preparation. And then, through such prayer, we can communicate with God as His priests.
And the starting, there are three steps to enter into his presence, and then we will pray. This, here we see how we must enter to the presence of God. The first step that gives us the right to enter the presence of the Lord is to give God a basis to anoint us with His oil. And how does He anoint us with His oil? This is when we worship in spirit and truth, through the truth that is found in our spirit, or through Urim and Thummim that are found in our spirit. This means that God has anointed us with His oil, and this is the first step. The Lord anoints us with His oil, and gives us Urim and Thummim. This is the first step that allows us to enter into the presence of God. The second presence that allows us to enter into the presence of the Lord is the abandonment of one's rights and desires in favor of the rights and desires of God in order to represent the interests of God. So I enter into the presence of God in prayer presence, and I inside know that I am here on this place in this prayer, and I have no right to represent my own interests in this prayer. And this is the second step. I walk in with the Word of God, I here am going to represent the interests of the Heavenly Father. And the third step that allows us to go into this presence deep, far into it, in this conversation with the Lord, this third step that gives us the right to enter the presence of the Lord is a priest's correct attitude to the purpose of the temple as a house of prayer for all nations. This is when we do not leave our assembly in which God has placed us. So in our correct relationship toward the house of prayer, this gives us the right to correctly enter into the presence of God. Let us pray. May you be blessed in your prayers. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great privilege to be found in this place in order to worship before the blood of the covenant, before your greatness, on the foundation of which you have allowed us to rise up to heights higher than us. We thank you that you, through your word, revealed to us our true calling. And we thank you that you have allowed us to hear this calling and to clearly engrave it on the tablets of our heart. And we ask you that today, in this proclamation, in this befitting praise, for us to be able to proclaim and to thank you in this befitting praise that is made through this praise, we are made partakers to Israel, the warriors of prayer. We thank you for the power of life that you will affirm and that you will restore and put in place in the place upon which dwells the power of death today. But we, Lord, thank you. We thank you for the power of life that today has its place in our spirit, in our renewed thinking, and in our lips when you allow our new man, our innermost person, our spirit, to completely take up the atmosphere in our physical body. We ask you to allow our innermost man, our spiritual man, who today is found hidden in the spirit, to spread, to spread upon the whole land of Israel for our whole body, so that in our body there can be no place for the old man, so that in no cell of our body there is no place of the genetics of the old man, but so that the old that the new man can bring represent the Lord Yahweh of hosts and to spread 
his properties in our body. May our bodies be clothed into our new man, who today is hidden in our spirit. We thank you for our true calling that you have revealed to us and allow us to keep our place in the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you to each of us have given a place in the body of the Lord. And we are not going to leave this place. We thank you for this place. We are grateful for this place. We have a great privilege to be in that place which you have called us upon and to represent your interests. And we won't, as the one-third of the angels, we won't leave our calling, our place, so that then we deal with the holiness of God on the day of the eternal judgment. We today condemn this desire in our thinking, in our body, and we captive it. We hold it captive with the obedience of Christ, and we tell our ambitions, our feelings to get out, and we, Lord, rejoice in that place which you have allowed us to have for this great privilege to worship before your holy name. We value this place and our calling, this specific place in the body of Christ, through which we are able to affirm our true calling, which you have contained for us, you have kept for us. We ask you, Lord, to remember your promises they have given to Israel from the ancient of days so that the cities and the strongholds of the foreigners could be destroyed both in our body and in the church of Christ. You have given this promise from since the old days and we in this befitting praise affirm this truth. You have said, Lord, of the fact that some have penetrated the church who are meant for condemnation. Therefore, we ask you so that people who are evil, lawless, in whom there is no faith, foreigners, we ask that they be destroyed from the church of God across the face of the whole earth so that your church could prepare herself for accepting that great promise allow us to affirm the power of life and for this Lord we ask you so the cities and strongholds that our old man relies on for them to be destroyed and for them to be given to eternal destruction and into eternal ruins. And we are going to magnify you and praise you and thank you that you have allowed us today to set aside all uncleanliness and malice so that in meekness we can accept the planted word that is able to save our souls. For this, we have made the decision to to destroy all idols that were present in our former way of life so that we can serve the living and true God. The living and true God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for this we refuse all that which you call evil, and we choose all of that which you call good. In the name of Jesus Christ, we take off ourselves, take off of ourselves all sin that holds us captive. In the name of Jesus, we take this off so that the law of God cannot be against us but so that the law of God can become holiness in us. 
We thank you for the opportunity in befitting praise to learn, to learn, to hear, and to understand the Holy Spirit in our spirit, to the ability to accept and to hear the word of the Anointed One. And allow us also to hear our spirit and our renewed thinking and to understand that word that we have heard from your anointed one. We thank you for this revelation. We thank you for this word that we have. And we ask you, Lord, for you to give our pastor the word so that this word he can preach, as always, with boldness before your holy countenance and so that we can accept him and so that this word could clothe our bodies and prepare us to meet with you. And we today are clothed and we thank you for the robes of salvation. We thank you for the clean linen that is clean and bright. We thank you for the righteousness of saints that we once were strangers, but now we are belonging. We, be we belong to God and citizens of heaven. We thank you for the ornaments of the bride and that you crown us with the crown of a bridegroom today. We thank you that you clothe us in the wedding garments and allow us to stand in the representative power and authority of the Lord Yahweh of hosts. Allow us today to accept all of this in the atmosphere of brotherly love which today dwells in your church. Allow us to rise up above the resentment and bitterness and to present our heart a good soil in which the sown word can bring the fruit of righteousness. Give us mercy, Lord, so that the grace of God can reign in us, in us through your righteousness. We thank you for justification, and we ask you, Lord, that the grace of God can reign through the fruit of righteousness that is revealed in our hearts. May your name be blessed in this holy place. Our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.